Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, everybody, this is Jim Asker from Billboard, and I am here with Jimmy Harden. Um, and Jimmy is the president of BMLG and EVP, executive vice president for the entire Big Machine label group. Welcome, Jimbo. Thanks, James. Good to see you again. It's good to see you. Um, Jim and I have quite a uh, history together, so if we sound inside from time to time, <laughs> please bear with us. Well, I just like to give, when I do these listeners, um, just a brief snapshot of what your day looks like okay. and what you do in your position here. Well, my, my primary responsibility is to be president of BMLG Records. So anything that has any of the artists on BMLG from Florida Georgia Line to Brett Young, um, I handle everything that and report directly to Scott. As EVP, Scott Borchetta. Scott Borchetta, yes. As, as EVP, uh, Scott will utilize me in various things, sometimes involved in promotion, sometimes in marketing, uh, sometimes in just uh, creative ideas, or he'll uh, put me on a task. But I'm, I'm pretty much here to do whatever he needs done. And uh, it's been, mm-hmm. there's no two days that are the same, which I really like. It's always exciting. What time do you um, get here when you're here in the office? Well, we, uh, we kind of work. Or is it- uh, the lights, are, well, the lights are always on, so to speak. So when we're home, we're still emailing. But I live south of town, so I try to get here about 9.30 because if I try to get here at 9, yeah. as you know, maybe living south of town, it's, it's literally you it's know, crazy. An hour, it's an hour and a half ride. So you sit in the car. So I, I tend to start the day off at you know 6 o'clock. I get up, look at spins, look at things, uh, do a little workout, have the laptop on the treadmill because I have a little table on it, look at everything. And then you know about 9, I start driving in, and it beats that whole crazy rush hour. And it's nothing compared to New York or Los Angeles, obviously. But but it's uh, bad. Yeah, it is. It Everybody's comes. moving to Nashville. Yeah. Um, so you're a record in- industry exec today, mm-hmm. but you started as an artist. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and you had a Billboard Hot 100 top 10 hit in 1989, Where Are You Now? So can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, of all titles for a one-hit wonder to have, mine had to be <laughs> Where Are You Now? When did you start playing music and, and what inspired you? Uh, 
I was thinking about that when somebody asked me that the other day. Um, when I was a little boy, my mom used to take me to from Plymouth, Pennsylvania to Wilkes-Barre. It's no more than a, a 45-minute bus ride. It's Wilkes-Barre. I always thought it was Wilkes-Barre. You know, I live there. I say Wilkes-Barre. Some people say Wilkes-Barre, like tomato, <laughs> tomato. That's a whole different podcast. It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> and okay. so I would go there, and when we got on the bus in Plymouth, it was very empty. And I remember being a little boy, and I was talking, and I heard the reverberation on the bus. Hmm. And I love the way that voice, my voice talking sounded. So one day I started singing the ballad of the Green Berets. And I remember singing Fighting Soldiers. And, I, and it was just, I was like, it was like <laughs> reverberating. I'm going, that sounds great. And I think about this today. Like, How old were you then? I was probably four or five. And you like the sound of your voice. Well, I like the sound of the reverb. It's, it's and it, like, interesting because most people don't, but you yeah. did. So. Well, because the bus made it sound so wonderful. Uh-huh. Like, you know? And so I was thinking about if my kids ever started singing on a public bus, I'd go, quiet, stop, there's a lady sitting there. <laughs> but my mother allowed me to sing. And I wonder if she didn't, would I have sat back and went, oh, well, that's not good. So that was the first foray. And then some people would get on the bus and they'd say, he could really sing. You should take him for singing lessons. And so I took singing lessons uh, right after that when I was like six or seven, maybe eight. And uh, then I started playing clarinet and uh, trumpet. And I realized that those two instruments didn't get a lot of girls. So I switched to drums. No, I play clarinet too. It didn't get it. No, it just doesn't. No want... traction with no. females. Ben, Benny Goodman had, had it back then, but it just doesn't. <laughs> it's just not what it used to be, the old licorice stick. So that's, that's how it started. And I was just always around music. And I, Were you I... listening to the radio then? Yeah, my first foray, well, my, my sister was the first uh, experience I had listening to music. She had a, you know, an RCA Victrol, I guess it was called. <laughs> and uh, she had Gary Puckett in the Union Gap, the Beatles, um, Tom Jones. And I just remember hearing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she bought a Carpenter's record. And I heard that. And I loved Karen Carpenter's voice. And I just started singing along to that. And uh, then radio, my first foray into radio was probably Casey Kasem. I still wait for the weekends because... Um, there, you know, I couldn't afford Billboard magazine. Coming down the Billboard Top 40. Yeah, and I listened every week, every Sunday, religiously to hear that. Huh. Yeah, so that's how it started. Okay, so fast forward to when you wrote your song with, with Rich. With, with Rich Congdon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you co-wrote that song. I did. And it originally hit number 77, in, and I didn't know this before. It hit number 77 in 1986, then it was re-released in 1989 yeah. and hit Top 10. Correct. So how did that happen? Well, um... We were first signed. It was kind of cool because uh, I said to my mom and dad, can I write and record the best song before I go to graduate school? I was on my way to uh, either the University of Pennsylvania or the University of Scranton to either be a doctor or a dentist because back in my hometown, that's the only way you can make money if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist. And, of course, that's silly. Mm -hmm. But that's what they told us. And so I said to my mom, could we write and record the best song possible before I go to grad school? And she said, yes. So we... Uh, Rich and I, I went to his house one day and he had the whole, pretty much the whole music bed done, but it was much more elaborate, very, very piano. Had you guys been, already been working together? Quite we went bit? to high school together, we went to college together, and we were just friends. We were always recording and dabbling. We were like into the band Chicago, Toto, Ario Speedwagon, and he had that whole thing. And I said, I put my boombox on the top of his piano and I said, can you just play that into the boombox? And he did, and I took it home, and I sat behind my drums, and literally within three minutes, the lyric was done. Maybe just a twist, but it was about a girl uh, her name was Greta. Greta Herman was her name. Hmm. And my mom and, you know. Greta. Yeah. Pretty German girl. <laughs> and uh, my mom and dad just didn't want us dating. So she, my mom said, you guys need to split up. So that song is all about we broke uh, up. And so I was like, you know, but it was puppy love and everything. Where is Greta now? I have no idea. 
Hence she, the song. Hence the song. Where are you now, Greta? <laughs> and uh, so then that's how that, so uh, that's how it was written. And then when we got done, uh, we brought it back home. And I was driving home, and WKRZ FM in Wilkesbury was having a Bon Jovi concert. Mm-hmm. And I called the DJ Jeff Walker, who I played it for a demo of it weeks before, and he said he loved it. So I said, "Can I bring over the master?" And I brought over the master. And he goes, this is great. Can I play for my PD? Who is Al Brock, who is here in town now? I know so, Al very well. So Al says... I hey, didn't know this. Yeah. So Al Brock adds it. And he said, well, we need to put it on the radio. I go, you're going to... And I was the first unsigned artist to be played on a local radio station. So they put it on. They add it. And he calls me back about three weeks later. said, you need to make this into a record. And I said, well, how do you do that? I mean, I had no idea. And we actually... That, back was, then, was that on a reel-to-reel? I brought it on a reel-to-reel, yes. And so we had to get it mixed. We went to the record plant in New York and had it mixed. Then we had it mastered, and we made 1,000 uh, 45. To the record plant? That was a big-time studio. Yeah. That's where we mixed it. Yeah, Gray Russell mixed it there. And uh, so then we, we made 1,000 singles, and we took them to Joan Ardone's Gallery of Sound, which is an 11-store chain in the Northeast. He puts them in there on consignment. He calls me up a week later. He said, I need 5,000 more. And I said... You sold the first thousand? He said, yeah. And then I gave him 5,000 more. And then a couple, maybe a month later, he wanted 5,000 more. And the next thing you know, um, Epic Records called us because they were doing uh, the 10 best unsigned acts in America. Mm-hmm. And they offered us something on that. And then we got connected with um, Walter Yetnikoff and Tommy Matola, And they uh, hooked us up with uh, Empire Records. I was going to be the first artist signed to Empire Records in New York, which was a subsidiary of Columbia. Mm-hmm. So they put it out. And uh, first time it's released, it goes to 77 and then just kind of falls apart, doesn't do anything. But between 77 and 89, I'd get phone calls from Dave Robbins at uh, WNCI in Columbus, Ohio. Brian Phillips, who is now at uh, CMT, he was, I think, in Mil- I was in Min- uh, Minneapolis at KDWB. They're saying, your song's beating out Brian Adams' Pour Some uh, Heaven or Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar on me. I'm like, They're a little song wars type yeah. things. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I called... Sony and they wanted nothing to do with it. And were then, you still an artist at this point? I was full time yeah. artist. Well, the band had broken up, but okay. since I wrote it, I kept doing my own thing, and so I went solo locally, <laughs> and we kept playing clubs all around the Pennsylvania area. And then uh, I get a phone call from Joan Ardone, who was the guy who owned the record stores the first time, and he said, "I just came back from Las Vegas, and there's a station playing your song every two and a half hours." And I knew that was like heavy rotation, so mm-hmm. I. I go through the yellow pages of rock because there was no internet. You couldn't search for a station. So the album uh, network made this thing called the uh, yellow pages of rock. I remember it. I open it up. I call every radio station in Las Vegas and it was guys Apollyon and Jay Taylor at KLUC in Las Vegas. And they said, tomorrow there's going to be um, a story in USA today because nationwide communication is rebreaking songs that didn't work the first time. And yours is one of them. So it was myself, Sheriff, UB40 and uh, Benny Mardonis. And USA Today was gigantic in 1989. I mean, that was the traveling paper, and it was the cool new paper. And on the cover of the entertainment section, there it was. So Sony re-signs me. They take me out to L.A. to make the record. Um, We make the record, and we chase... Did did you remix it and re-record it? They didn't want to touch it. They wouldn't wouldn't do anything. They wanted to keep it just as it was, but they wanted to introduce it as Jimmy Harnan with Cinch because they knew they had a solo deal with Uh me. So Jerry Greenberg at WTG signed me. We did an album. David DeVore produced the record. And uh, the single was re-released, and it went top 10 CHR, top 3 AC. But it stayed on the charts for like 78 weeks. And so that was a real, a real good run. And of course, we wrote the song, so we made some good money from it, which was good because we were 
probably hugely in debt at that point. It's still played sometimes, isn't it? It does, yeah. I wish we could have re-recorded it, but I, I understand now that I'm on this side of it. They just didn't want to mess with it because it was working, and they didn't want to change it and lose this, you know, the, the honesty of it. So This was something I was going to ask you later, but would you ever have a country artist you know, I don't, record I don't, that? I don't know if the... You're, you're always real critical of your own work, but I don't know if the lyric holds up to where um, where music is today. Uh, the certain, the certainly that pomp and circumstance, all alone tonight. That that probably wouldn't work, um, but it worked wonderfully. And in '85, when we first wrote it, it was right down the pipe. It sounded exactly like what was on the radio. But when they re-released it in '89, you gotta remember that was Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll never forget, I was driving to the studio one day, and I got an advance of Richard Marks' uh, repeat offender record. And I heard Satisfied and Right Here Waiting, and I said, I'm done. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm never going to have Was this. there a second single from the album? There, there was. And I was probably the only guy who had a Diane Warren stiff that year. So, um, Oh, you did a Diane Warren song. Yeah, it was called No Reason in the World. But uh, a lesson I learned later, when I sang Where Are You Now, I sang in a very simple kind of young voice. And, of course, the 80s came on, and everybody started singing like this, and, you know, everybody's got some burning. <laughs> so I sang the whole record like that, and I'll never forget, they put it on John Garabedian's open house party. And I'm listening with all this excitement, and everybody kept saying, what's wrong with his voice? Why did he change? I like the other guy. Why? It doesn't even sound like Where Are You Now. You're trying to do like a Joe Cocker kind well, of Well, it was like the Bon Jovi thing. Like, everything was, was, everything was raspy, and it wasn't, not everything. It's where I was. I was, you know, kind of just... It was a mistake by me, and it was a mistake by my creative team. I could see it, you know. But you try to fit in, you know? Right, exactly. Do you still play and write? Uh, I don't write anymore. That's that's definitely a difficult thing to do, and I think it's like... uh, it's like cycling or you're a marathon runner. You just can't pick up one day and go, I'm going to run a marathon. you got to train for 20 weeks or whatever. You can't. That's what I do. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not doing so good. But So I don't do that. I leave that to the professionals. Okay. So, But if you had – one more question about sure, this. Sure, of course. Um, but if you knew it was going to be a hit and had your choice of any artist to record it, who would be right for it to record? Boy, I never thought about that. Um, I think it would have to be somebody younger. And I think it would have to be, obviously, uh, probably a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, I think Hunter, when he first started, might have been able to pull it off. Hunter Hayes. Because um, it's definitely a young, naive, uh, very innocent kind of approach. And now Hunter, of course, I mean, Hunter's an incredible musician. I'm certainly not saying that, that, that about him. But he had that very uh, right. kind of honest. He's got and, that charm. Yeah, he's got that. He, he could pull that song off. And with his cred, he could have he did a nice okay. job. Do you have anything that you logged as biggest in the biggest thrill department as an artist? Yeah, I think there was so many of them. I mean, obviously, the first time you hear your song on the radio, I mean, I could tell you where I was, what okay. I was wearing, what where I had Where were you? Breakfast. What station was it? Uh, well, it was KRZ, WKRZ oh, yeah. in Wilkes-Barre, okay. hometown. And so but I, how about out of town? What? Uh, it probably would have been uh, KKRB in Houston. Or maybe, mm-hmm. is it KK? Yeah, Kirby. I think it's KKRB. And I remember being in there. I did a show with Michael Bolton when he, before he uh, really blew up. And I remember hearing it on the radio, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Pirate Radio. Pirate, Scott Shannon played it in L.A. when I was making the record of Pirate That's Radio. That's a big deal. Well, Scott Shannon was a total and continues to be a total class guy. When I got to Los Angeles, I called him, and I said, I, I said, is Scott Shannon in? And I'm naive thinking he's going to pick up. And his assistant or somebody put him through. And he goes, hey, we're playing your record. It's doing real well, and uh, congratulations on everything. And about 20 minutes later, one of his interns or somebody came over from a promotion team. They had Welcome to the Jungle shirts, 
coffee cups, and that was just huge. So he yeah. brought a whole bunch of stuff up. And then years later, when I was doing, when you and I were working together and you were in Long Island, I called Scott Shannon. I said, I'm going to be in town. And he said, well, why don't you come up and watch the big show? This was when he was at PLJ. PLJ. Yeah. And so I go up there, and Todd's up there, and, everybody's, and they, they start pushing me closer to the microphone. I'm thinking, they must mm-hmm. think I'm a client. <laughs> they have no idea what I'm doing here. So I get up there, and they put a microphone in front of me. I'm going, oh, this is going to be embarrassing. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, if you could name the one-hit wonder standing next to me with this song, are you in tickets to see Dave Matthews at the Troubadour? And I'm thinking, no one's going to call. This is going to be a train wreck. The phones light up. And then they asked me, it was Friday morning, so they asked me to do the whole Friday morning fo- uh, follies, and, and I sang with them, banged the drum, and, and Scott's always been a real classy guy. With That's his, really yeah, great. Good- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Guy. So, how did you? You mentioned us working together. That was when you were at then DreamWorks, DreamWorks Records. Yeah. Tell us about that transition that happened from being an artist to a record label person. Well, I tried to get a job in the pop world, and I think most of the pop labels thought I was trying to angle them to get in and then get my own music on the radio. But you know, I was I was starving. I mean, my you know, not starving, but we were we were. My mom and dad never made more than thirty five thousand dollars. Did you a know year. how records were promoted to radio? Yeah, because when, when you were. Wanting to do it? Well, I mean, I started getting my record on KRZ, so that was the first, in Wilkesburg, that was the first kind of foray into it, and I learned all about it. Kind of promoting yourself. Yeah. And And then when I went to LA and made my record, Dave Urso was senior VP of promotion, and I literally, Jim, would go over to Sony, uh, well, CBS at the time, CBS Records, so much that Dave Urso pulled me aside, and he goes, you got to finish your record, you can't hang out here at the label all the time. But I was infatuated with how they got songs on the radio, how they signed artists, how they developed artists, and I just loved that environment. So... Um, my after things kind of cooled down, uh, let me backtrack. Mason Dixon was in Tampa, and a buddy of mine said, You should send a song to Mason Dixon. I'm like, He's not going to play it. He played Where Are You Now? He's not going to want to do this. So I sent him a song called The Best I Could Do. And the next morning, he left a message on my voicemail, and there were like 65 people uh, digitally edited together. He played it on, uh, I met him in Q105. Then it was a, a pop station. It might still be a pop station. Um, and it it blew up. So he hmm. said, there's a guy in Nashville you should meet by the name of Cliff Down. So I moved to Nashville. We kind of go at it. One thing leads to another. We don't get a deal. But now I'm a little older, and now I'm in Nashville. And I'm like, I know nothing about did, country music. Did you like country music then? My mom and dad grew up with Hank Williams, you know, Eddie Arnold. And you know, we watched all the, the, the classic shows, Hee Haw, but I, Kenny Rogers. But I didn't know anything about it. And then when I moved here, um, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And so I'm in Nashville. So... Again, this is a business of relationships, and Lou Galliani was my babysitter. He and his wife, Tina, uh, Lou passed away a few years back, but they were my babysitters, and I was in L.A., 
So when I came here, um, I heard that Gavin Magazine was looking for a salesperson. Gavin Report. Yeah. So Lou Gallion, I called him up and he goes, Jimmy, he said, it's yours if you want it. He said, you know, sell the advertising, you get paid on commission and there's a small salary. But what I realized, I was pitching this to senior VPs of promotion. So it was the best resume maker I could have ever did. So that's how I met Scott. And so Scott Borchetta um, was going to promote Royce from Gavin Promotion to the Northeast. Royce for sure. And then Royce called me and said, Scott wants to talk to you about the Gavin position. And then Scott got fired the next day. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which happens a lot yeah, in this business. Not with Scott. No. But right. <laughs> then uh, Bart Almond uh, was offered a job at Curb Universal with Jerry McDowell, who is one of the sweetest women in the, in the business and most talented. She, Bart didn't want it because he wanted to be the national at Monument with, uh-huh. the, with this new band they had called the Dixie Chicks. And everybody said, never that's, make it. No, they said, that's a, that name will never work. <laughs> so Bart becomes the national. I become the South. Jerry and Buffy Cooper hired me to do with George Briner. Uh, uh, and I was the Southwest. And Dean Hallam was the, one of the toughest guys down there. Well, he played Where Are You Now? And so when I got into country, I realized there were so many people like him, Mike Kennedy, Brian uh, Thomas, uh, in, who was in, I think, in, in Florida. So maybe. former top 40 guys. Yeah, now, now they're in country. country. So all of a sudden, I was, instead of being the older guy on the block, had I gone to New York or L.A., I was the younger guy right. in country. And, you know, I'm, Mike Kennedy asked me to sing at his wedding. So Kenny Chesney and I were the only two people to sing at Mike Kennedy's wedding. Now, Kenny's career went on further than mine <laughs> in terms of singing. So you did your single? I did. And I had to sing at acapella and, you know, a couple of beers in <laughs> So was DreamWorks your first major? Curb Universal. Curb Universal. I, I worked the Southwest, cool. and we worked uh, Seminole. Yeah, uh, they were just a, a, I don't a, remember. They were a duo that Mark Miller produced, and they were two, okay. two really good guys. Uh, and then Winona, and then Scott came to DreamWorks, and he, uh, I called him up, and he, uh, he offered me a job. And he said, pick the region you want to work at. And I picked the Northeast because that's where my mom still lived. My dad passed away. But, uh, so I went to the Northeast, and that's where you and I started crossing. Yeah, I was programming a radio station on Long Island, and we had a very interesting first meeting with Bruce Schindler. Whose place you were taking, Bruce Schindler, who's a very good friend of both of ours. He ate your sandwich, and then we didn't take you to lunch. Right. The, the story is that um, they came to visit me, and Jimmy and Bruce... And uh, I was in a meeting. I think there were bad ratings I was dealing with or something that no, – nothing unusual, bad ratings. Uh, but I was, in, I was in this meeting and I had my sandwich on, on my desk, right? Waiting for you to come in and eat. And what did he say when I walked well, in? I can't remember. He goes, Jim, we have bad news and worse news. <laughs> right. He said, the bad news is we don't have time to take you to lunch. And the worst news is I ate your lunch. Right. Exactly. And then you actually made us take you to lunch. You go, no, no, come on. You're taking me to lunch. We went to a cheap Chinese restaurant. <laughs> we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, so in this side, on this side, where, where you've done so great on this side of the business, do you listen to music differently? You know, I, it's, it's, that's a great question. I tend to listen to music more like a listener now. Mm-hmm. And I find myself like um, working with Ryan Falaze, who was in Hot Shell Ray. He's a new artist we just signed. He's got a, a great little solo career starting in country. But just a true musical you know, guy, genius. He and Cameron uh, Montgomery, who, who produced the record with him, uh, we're in the studio mixing with Dan Huff and uh, Justin Niebank. And they were like zoning in on the minutiae. And I stopped doing that. I just sit back and I listen and I go, does that touch me? Is that, does that feel real? Does that feel honest? And I let a lot of that stuff that I used to get very anal about to people like Justin Niebank and um, Chris Lord Algie and Dan Huff and Joey Moy. Th- those guys are experts at that. And I try to sit back and listen to it and just say, 
is this going to inspire somebody or will they make it part, will they make this song part of their life and if that's if that feeling is there hmm. that's all that matters in my opinion and they'll, they'll make it sound as good as they can but I still try to listen to it more from that point of view now because good radio programmers you always try to listen to it as a listener would yeah, not get too deep into the yes. sound yes um, treat it as somebody who is a normal so it sounds like you're right on that same yes and I got there accidentally probably just because I I, I knew that if I started if you if you start looking through the song you miss the song and uh, and I, I think it's it's done fairly we've done fairly well by doing it that way in your role here have you been a have you produced as well I've not done I've executively produced uh, thousand horses uh, Brett young um, and what does that mean, by the way? Well, it basically means it, it could vary, but you're the executive who's putting the whole thing together. So in tandem with A&R and marketing and promotion, but you're helping find the songs, you're hooking them up with the producer, you're picking the engineer, you're coming in in the recording sessions and making sure... Kind of overseeing sure that, the whole Yes, at, from the executive point of view. Yes. I see, I see. If I die young, bury me inside, lay me down on a bed of roses, sink me in the river. So some of the great acts that you've worked with here, like Florida Georgia Line, the band Perry, did you sign those acts? Uh, the first day I was, um, this is a good story. So it was, I just left Capitol and I was, I, Scott already hired me, but my first day wasn't until um, May 9th, 2009. And David Crow, their attorney said, I've got a song you need to hear. I said, do not send it to me till May 9th because anything you send me before May 9th still would belong to Capitol. So on May 9th, he sent me a song called If I Die Young. That was the first song I heard. And I remember hearing it, I went, I called David, I said, can you please send me a picture? And he sent me a picture, and they, of course, they were just beautiful-looking, you know, young adults, and they were brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. I knew they would stick great, together. Great harmonies. Genetic harmonies. Right. And uh, that was the first thing I heard. And simultaneously, they sent it to Scott, and mm-hmm. I didn't know this yet. And Allison Jones was actually the first person who heard them. She heard them about eight months prior and they liked Allison Jones or A&R is our senior So GP you were at Capitol Records when you heard it the first time? So. No, I was, no. I didn't know about them at all when I was at Capitol. I heard about it when I came here. And just so people know, you went from DreamWorks to Capitol as yes. a vice president, right? Yeah, I was hired as a national under Bill Catino, then Mike Dungan made me VP and then senior VP. Okay, very good. And so um, we all heard it separately. And then when I came here, we all loved it together. And they, they came in the room and they played for us at the across the, the hallway here for the next building. And... They were just amazing. I mean, they sat there and played, and I'm looking, I'm going, man, I hope it's always this easy. I mean, they just blew, they just torched that song the place. Such a great song. Yeah. But you know, we lost the bullet on that song, I think, three times before we got to the top 30. And when we took uh-huh. it around to radio, we had a lot of people say, so is this about suicide? And I'm thinking, oh, God, now I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm like, no, it's not about suicide. And then one day we started seeing a bunch of young girls and, and young boys singing it online. And I remember calling Steve Perry and I said, Steve, because he's a doctor, he's a pediatrician, great, great human being. And uh, I said, is this, is this going to be weird because if parents hear their, sing, their kids sing If I Die Young? And suddenly everybody found that song to be about not the years in the life, but the life in the years. Mm-hmm. And everybody made it their anthem. And so we went on a radio tour. Uh, they pl- that wasn't the first single. The first single was called Hip to My Heart. 
And that went to 15, and we slugged it out on that one. So we put a five dying out second. You call those a work record, right? When you're... It was a work record, yeah. And we played it. Nate Deaton, who's a PD at KRTY in San Jose, put it on the radio. And we call it the bloodbath in San Jose. It got killed. <laughs> and and we, were, we were listening to it on the radio, and the people are going, don't ever play that again. I'm going to burn down the radio station. But that's how that's that all started. Story. And, and they, they, they're just great, great, great kids. And how about Florida Georgia Line? Did you sign them? Yeah. So what happened with Florida Georgia Line is um, – Monty Lippman, we were sitting back and trying to figure out who was the first person to hear it. And I believe it was Joe Jamie, who's now over at Broken. Joe Jamie Hart was Broken. She was here. Now she's a Broken Bow. She was the Southeast. And I think she heard about what was going on with them in the Southeast, told Scott. And then Allison, of course, heard about it because Allison hears about everything. And she's right on top Allison of it. Allison is our, your A&R. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, uh, and then Monty Lippman heard about it. And Tom McKay heard about it, who's West Coast A&R for Republican New York. And we all started, you know, just looking at it. And um, one day, I, 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 they were playing in um, Evansville, in, somewhere in Indiana, and it was, it was a baseball field, and it was 124 degrees on the field. And so, you know, me, I, I go up there, I'm trying to be like real cool. I wear a black shirt, black shorts, and a black hat. It's 124 <laughs> degrees, so I'm almost uh-huh. dying there. So we went to see them, and uh, they, Brian came out, and they, so they would drive their own van. They would set their equipment up. They'd shower. They'd play. Then they'd take a, another shower, cook barbecue, and then do a meet and greet. And they did that everywhere on the, on the Throwdown Tour. And they were just really sweet guys. And when we walked into the room to make our pitch, it was Craig Wiseman, who's a great songwriter, part of their team, Joey Moy, who's their producer, Seth Thinglin, and Kevin Neal, who was their agent at the time. And Matthew and I walk in, and I have to make my pitch. And I'm looking around the room going, wow, I don't want to mess this up. So I, I make the pitch, and Tyler looked at me. He sat there with his shirt off. And Tyler he goes, Hubbard. Tyler Hubbard, yes, the singer. And he goes, um, dude, he goes, I appreciate all that about us. He said, but this is our team, and I want to make sure our team stays intact. And I thought, how cool is this? In a moment that was all about them, he was mainly worried about everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and, and to this day, cool. they're, that, they're that kind of uh, people. And, and- Cruise, the longest running song at number one on our Hot yeah. Country Songs chart. It was a life-changing song for, uh, for them, for us, and anybody involved. And uh, it couldn't happen to two, two nicer guys or a greater team of people. And their sound has progressed a lot. Uh, in the beginning, they were kind of the poster ch- children for uh, bro country. Yeah. So does, did that term bother you at all or no? No, I, th- I, think, I think human beings like to give labels because it, uh, it makes them feel like they could quantify it mm-hmm. and and you know there's an old expression that said soaring eagles attract gunfire and so they were white hot so it's easy to shoot at something you know that's white hot i remember when garth came out they shot at garth and then when Dick, the dixie chicks and you know but, every, as soon as you have success people but, some people shoot at obviously it. the fans liked it so that's the bottom line right yeah. and so they uh yeah I, I we didn't mind the term it is it, it, what it was and there were thousands of people coming to see him and we had an incredible incredible run with it and that single holy um Tremendous single. Yeah. Um, even has, because I do the Christian chart, it, it kind of has that Christian inspirational production sonically to yeah. me. Um, was that intentional for them to progress to the next level sound-wise? Well, I can Not al- that there was anything wrong with the other sound because it was great too, but just different? I think, well, I think a couple of things happens. I think um, artists grow up. I mean, Brian and Tyler got married. Um, they did two records in that in that kind of vein, and I think they just wanted to get to that next place, and they did it authentically. Uh, they live it, and they they believe in it, and that's as like I said earlier in this in this interview. As long as it's honest, the people love it, and that's what they wanted to do, and I think that's why it's connecting because it's real.
her new single, God, Your Mama and Me, is with the Backstreet Boys. Yes. Yeah. We just shot How the did video. That happen? We were just talking, and I think, uh, I'm sure it was probably Seth or Chief, their manager, Seth England, or Kevin Zurich, Chief, or Joey, who sat back and said, hey, why don't we, or maybe it was Tyler or Brian, but they just gelled. And much like when they had worked with Nelly, that, you know, they sang on a Nelly record, Nelly sang on Cruise for the remake. They, they meet with people, they feel if it gels, they do it, and if it's real and honest, and I think they just, I'm guessing they grew up with the Backstreet Boys. That's cool. So. And getting to the, uh, one of the other sides to your job, um, how tough is it was when an artist turns in an album and you kind of have to say, um, go back and do it again or do some of it again? That's got to be tough. I think it's the way you say it. I think you have to sit back and uh, what I tend to do is I say, listen. Um, but you have to be honest. Yeah, right? you have to. And and so, I mean, I did it with an artist at Capitol who's now selling millions and millions and millions of tickets and albums. And um, he took it like the champ he is and came back and the next batch of song had three number ones in it. So I think I always tell people, say something to somebody else the way you wish it would have been said to you. Mm-hmm. And as long as you could deliver it with that respect and, uh, and care, I think as long as you're true about it, people will understand. Okay. Makes sense to me. There's so many platforms now uh, that yeah. artists have to hit. It's not like, you know, when I started in radio and you started as an artist, yeah. there was radio, we were the gatekeepers, and now there's a million different platforms. How do you decide where an artist should be successful first? I don't th- think there's a first. I think there's there's no one size that fits all. I think you kind of do it all together yeah, in I tandem. Think, yeah, I think the more outlets there are, uh, and you know, like in anything, Jim, you, know, you run to where there's heat. If um, a certain part of the country is supporting a record uh, on terrestrial radio, you obviously put more heat there. If somebody uh, likes it at one of the digital outlets or Sirius XM The Highway, you go there. Um, you just run to where the heat is, and uh, then they all can kind of, you know, formulate together. To, form a, yeah. to get a spark going? Yeah. I think you're just looking for heat, and I think the many outlets allow us to do that, and so I'm excited about all those opportunities. I think they can all easily work together and, and make music even bigger than it's ever been. You know, radio is still a very important platform, uh, probably the most important platform for, for Nashville, I think, yeah, still. absolutely. Um, how can radio stay relevant, in your opinion? I, I think it's like any business. Um, take it away from radio and just speak generally. I think it's uh, whether you're a record company, an ice cream shop, a radio station, it's about uh, staying fresh, keeping up with the competition. Uh, an expression I like to use is be young at heart. Uh, my mom, uh, I don't think you ever met her, but when she was 70 years old, she was younger at heart than some people I know that were 20. She just passed away, I'm yeah. sorry. And so she was young at heart. So I think you have to stay young at heart, be relevant. And another thing I always say is it's like when you're playing golf. Don't be afraid to play with your driver. A lot of people play with their three-wood because they don't want to slice. And sometimes you've got to take the big swing. And I think radio, record companies, ice cream shop owners, whoever it is, sometimes you just got to take that big swing. And if you hit it in the woods, you get your pitching wedge, you hit it back out, and you move on. Hmm. Even the way it's been, um, it's a different business platform now. You yeah. Know, it's corporations now where you could yeah. only own 12 radio stations before 1996. So yeah. a lot of their um, their targets, their goals are different now than yeah. they used to be. Yeah. I, you know, Kenny Rogers had a great line. He said, there's two kinds of people, those who get it done and those who bitch about it. <laughs> and uh, the only thing that's consistent in this world is change. Mm-hmm. And so you, you could sit back and bitch about it. 
uh, or you sit back and go, this is what it is. Let's make the best of it, and we'll all be fine. And, and, and there's still some great radio programmers. There's a ton of them. There's a ton of them you in know, all and formats. I give them all credit for surviving you yep. know, and thriving. So what else is coming up in 2017 that's exciting you could tell us about? New artists, new albums? Well, we got a ton. I mean, we just uh, showcased a bunch of them. We've got uh, so some of the front line, uh, Ryan Falaze on BMLG Records, Midland on Big, Mach- on, uh, Big Machine, uh, Carly Pierce on Dot. Uh, Delta Ray. I love her voice. Oh, she's she's just a beautiful voice, beautiful young lady. Uh, Delta Ray on Valerie. And then, of course, Brett Young is doing incredible. Tucker Bethard's doing great. Drake White's doing fantastic. Trent Harmon's doing great. What's his name? Thomas Rett. Thomas Ray. The Thomas Rett guy's doing good. He and the Florida Georgia Line guys. <laughs> he might be something. Yeah, yeah. And then there's that Taylor Swift girl. So we're, we couldn't be more blessed. And, um, yeah, so the different labels at the Big Machine Label Group, just um, who might not know, it's Big Machine... Um, and Valerie, right? BMLG records, formerly Republic Nashville, and Dot, and Dot. Did I miss anything? Na- uh, Icon, Nash Icon, Nash Icon, mm-hmm. um, and the new Reba, Reba. song just came out, yep. which is uh, inspirational, yes, um, spiritual, yeah. And Jim Jim Weatherson runs that label, an old friend of ours from Universal Distribution, and uh, is doing a great job with Ronnie Dunn and uh, Hank Jr. and and a, and a bunch of stuff, Martina. Um, do you watch the TV show Nashville? I do. Have you been on it? I have not. And um, I, Could I, I get on it? I think we should both do it. They should do it. They should uh, have us running a marathon <laughs> yeah. slowly. That'd be good. Stopping for coffee along the way. Um, have you seen the new season? I have. I have it all uh, DVR, but I have not seen it yet because I've been on the road quite a bit. But we're doing a lot of posting about it, and we're really excited about CMT because now it's. I mean, obviously, we're sad that it left the ABC, but it's now on CMT. It's right here in Nashville, mm-hmm. and Brian Phillips and his team, and Leslie and John Hamlet are going to do a great I hope job. It's a hit for them. It's Absolutely. a great commercial for Nashville. I agree. It's perfect. It's just, just it's wonderful. Here's something personally that I'm always. You know, you said the only constant is change. Um, with that said, you know, in music, it seems like everything is a cycle. Absolutely. Um, how long do you think shows like The Voice will continue to be hot? I actually hope for a long time because on the surface, they they are what they are. But there's something else that, that, that a lot of people may not think about. And that is it gives every new artist a chance to say they have a chance. And let's say you get in it at some level. So you understand competition. You understand performing on the spot. You understand performing under lights, under cameras, with judges in front of you. Um, it hones your craft. It's like an Oxford education. Uh, you know, Scotty B did, um, Scott Borchetta did uh, American Idol, and he was one of the, the, the mentors. And uh, it's a great experience. I, I hope they do well because I think it's great for artists. And even if they don't become successful artists, it's a great life coaching session because, mm-hmm. you know, I, when we, Cassidy Pope, I mean, she could walk into a room and light it up and darken it when she leaves. And she's just, I think she's learned all that by being in Hey Monday and being her own artist. But I think being on The Voice and, I don't want to say surviving, but making it through, you got to be badass to get through all that. I mean, sitting in front of Blake Shelton or Keith Urban and, you know, uh, it's that ain't easy. So I think it's I think it's great. And I hope they they continue to find a way to make them fresh every year and, and keep them going. Yeah, I can't imagine the pressure. At Especially all. in those finals. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and you're on national television, so if you mess up, I mean, I go to a number one party and give a speech and I'm nervous. I mean, imagine doing that on a television show, like, you know, your whole friend's watching. <laughs> if you sink, you're going down on national television. Huh? Your wife's name is Lynn. Yes. Who I've, had, I've had the pleasure of meeting. And how many kids do you have? We have two. My son is 16. His name is Lucas. And my daughter is 14. Her name is Katie. And what do you guys do to escape? 
Does she ever tell you, Jim? Jimmy, shut it down for a second. All right? the time, yeah. But you know, <laughs> they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So I, I just love what I do, and I, 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 I prayed that I would get here, and the fact that Scott Borchetta gave me this opportunity. There's nothing I like better than this in terms of a career. And uh, my son's a musician. My daughter's a dancer, and she's a singer, but she's afraid to sing in public. And my wife, you know, we're here because she supported me. We, we, uh, we, I, I had no job. She said, I'll go down to Nashville. I'll get a job. She got a job for $12,000 a year at American General. She said, just do me a favor. Go around every night and just give one card out a night. And that's how I started the whole process. So ah. wouldn't be here without her. You play music for her, I bet, too, right? All the time. And she's so brutally honest. And if there's one little thing in the song, Jim, she's like, ah, she's, I, don't know. I said, it's the first line. And she goes, uh-huh. yeah, but that doesn't like it. I go, and then she shuts it right down. I'm like, oh, what are you, in radio now? Like, <laughs> so, that's awesome. Yeah. So what's your next week look like? Uh, well, next week's a good I week. I want people to know like, what your next week is coming. You might want to ask the week after, because next week I'm going on vacation. <laughs> oh, okay. Where are you going? Uh, we're going to Anguilla, my wife and I. Oh, nice. And uh, so we're going to go down there. This will be without the kids. So it'll be just a little bit of a mom and dad trip to get away. And, uh, but more normally, I, I, I travel a lot. I try to stay on the road as much as I can. Monday is chart day. Monday is chart day. And then Tuesday, we have a lot of meetings. We have a promotion meeting that I lead in the morning with all the VPs of promotion. And then we have an artist development meeting in the afternoon and several things in between. And then our travel days are generally uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we come home Saturday. And we're launching some records now with Brantley Gilbert, Reba McIntyre, Brett Young, um, and so we're we're all we're planning all those. And uh, you know, Brett's going out now with Lady Annabellum and Luke Bryan, and Ryan Follows is about to have a tour announcement, and FGL's out, and Thomas Rhett's out, and so we we're busy. But it's the best job in the world. You get a chance to hear music and travel. I mean, anybody who complains about this should should feel real guilty. <laughs> And congratulations on all your success. It's been an amazing run. I hope uh, 2017 is a fantastic year for you. Right back at you. Jimmy Harnon, thank you so much. This is Jim Asker. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 